Jesus Christ kept his eye on the prize, which was and is the souls of men. He was not obsessed with the political agenda or the conspiracy of the day, all of which are temporary. The entire focus of his ministry was God's plan of salvation, the plan of reconciliation. The entirety of the New Testament, which was signed in his blood, was to present unto the world the grace and mercy of God, a way of escape from the camp of dead spirits. A highway of holiness to travel on has been erected, and it comes complete with a Holy Ghost roadmap and precise navigation instructions. Jesus Christ declared the message of born again in the process by which God's Word sanctifies His own unto Himself. It is the process of faith unto faith, strength unto strength, life unto abundant eternal life, and it all began at John 3, 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Have you been born again? Surely it is a second birth, this time of the Spirit of God, complete with a new father, a new name, a new glorious purpose, new power, and a new everlasting life. Will today be your day of salvation? Will today be the day all of your sin and shame is washed away and all Satan's bondages broken from your life? Make your move for Christ now while God's hand is still extended to you. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Revelation 2, 12 and 13, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. God said, Revelation 8, 10 and 11, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. God said, Psalms 14, 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Man said, My God is like a marshmallow man. He is soft and squeezable and harmless. The smiley face bumper sticker. God is love, and he wouldn't doom anyone to hell, even if there is one. That's who my God is. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 913, that will again confirm the supernatural authorship and glorious inerrancy of God's Holy Bible. All of these marvelous features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and as a platform from which to convince the gainsayers. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. May God's face shine upon you and your house. Do those clamoring for proof really want proof? 
Incontrovertible proof abounds, yet carnal man refuses to embrace it. The reason why is identified by the King of Glory in John three nineteen through 21, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. They challenge confidently and boldly, hoping no one will stand and poke a hole in their balloon. Proof of the God of the Bible is ubiquitous. It's not a proof issue. That challenge is simply a foil to cover their evil deeds. This feature will post God proofs 196 to 200. At the end of this feature, we will return God willing to God proofs of the day. The word of God is true and righteous all together. God proof 196, Revelation 2, 12 and 13. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Jesus said Pergamos, located in modern-day Turkey, was Satan's seat and where Satan dwelt. Sound bizarre? The following paragraphs are from the God Said, Man Said, the Saga of the Serpent, Part 2 feature. The great dragon, the old serpent, is everywhere. Jesus Christ speaks of Pergamos as Satan's seat, the place where Satan dwelleth. The following excerpt is from the Bible and archaeology. How does serpent worship begin in Pergamos? Some historians trace it to the collapse of the Babylonian Empire, when some Chaldean priests established their religious center in Pergamos. The defeated Chaldeans fled to Asia Minor and fixed their central college at Pergamos, notes historian William Barker in his book Lairs and Penates of Silicio. Certainly the Old Testament identifies Satan's cheap seat of activity as being in ancient Babylon, where the doctrine of its mystery religion made all the earth drunk, Jeremiah 51.7. This would make its religious successor, Pergamos, the temporary new Satan seat of the Babylonian mystery religion. That seat, comments Alexander Hislop, after the death of Belshazzar, the last Babylonian king, and the expulsion of the Chaldean priesthood from Babylon by the Medo-Persian kings, was at Pergamos, where afterwards was one of the seven churches of Asia. There, in consequence, for many centuries was Satan's seat. There, under favor of the deified kings of Pergamos, was his favorite abode, and was the worship of Asclepios under the form of the serpent. Pergamos itself became part and parcel of the Roman Empire, when Attalus III, the last of its kings, at his death, left by will all of his dominions to the Roman people in 133 B.C. In this way, the Roman emperors had become the heirs of Satan's seat during John's day. Later, when the Roman Empire collapsed, its successor, 
the Holy Roman Empire would inherit the role. It is noteworthy that Revelation 17, 4 through 5 and 18 reveals that in the end time, a powerful religious system from the ancient past will again reign over the nations and be identified as Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. End of quote. The central false deity of Pergamus was the sun divinity, worshipped under the form of Asclepios Soter, which means the man-instructing serpent and savior. Again, from the Bible and archaeology. The remains of the shrine to Asclepios have been uncovered by archaeologists. A 450-foot segment of the widest section was excavated and reconstructed so visitors to the site can experience a beautiful approach to the Asclepion, notes John McRae. Dedicated to Asclepios Soter, the god of healing, the Asclepion was a kind of male clinic of the ancient world. Numerous treatment rooms, sleeping rooms, and temples were located here. Patients coming to the shrine believed that Asclepios would heal them. There was no perceived dissonance between science and religion in the ancient world. From all over the world, added William Barclay, people flocked to Pergamus for relief of their sicknesses. R. H. Charles has called Pergamus the lords of the ancient world. Thus, pagan religion had its center in Pergamus. There was worship of Anthony in Zeus, with its magnificent altar dominating the city, now partially reconstructed in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin. There was the worship of Asclepios, bringing sick people from far and near, and above all, there were the demands of Caesar worship, hanging forever like a poised sword above the heads of the Christians, end of quote. Asclepius Soter not only means the man-instructing serpent and savior, but was also known as the god of healing, end of quotes. Source, giddy.org. In the city of Pergamus was a medical school, and this was a famous place of medicine. Mingled into their medicine, of course, was a lot of superstition, and the emblem or the idol of Asclepius was a snake. If you have ever seen the medical symbol, you will notice that in the middle of a medical symbol winding down its way around the pole is a snake. That is the ancient god Asclepios, the god of healing. When you went to the temple of Asclepios, you went there to be healed. In the temple, harmless snakes slithered all over the temple floor. And in order to be healed, you had to go in there and lie down and stay there. You slept on the temple floor, and while you slept, the diffused multiplicity of the deity of Asclepios crawled over your body and infused you with his healing power. Satanic? Yes. Right from the old serpent himself. End of quote. Source, truthmagazine.com. Asclepios, the Greek god. Pergamus was the center of the worship of Asclepios, or as the Romans called him, Asculapius, the Egyptians deified an historical physician, Imhoptib, exactly as the Greeks deified the historical Asclepios, i.e. Asculapius. In 420 B.C., the worship of Asclepios was introduced at Athens, coupled with that of Hygieia in Greek mythology, the goddess of health. Asclepios was the name of the Greek god of medicine, the son of Apollo and the nymph Coronis. The practice of sleeping in these sanctuaries was very common. 
The emblem of Asclepios is the serpent. The serpent was intimately connected with one of the ways in which cures were affected in the Asclepion. Sufferers were allowed to spend the night in the darkness of the temple. In the temple there were temple snakes. In the night the sufferer might be touched by one of these tame and harmless snakes as they glided over the ground on which he lay. The touch of the snake was held to be the touch of the God himself, and the touch was held to bring health and healing. It was supposed that this Greek god Asclepios affected cures or prescribed remedies to the sick in dreams. There was a temple of Asclepios at Athens as there was at Pergamos, end of quotes. Jesus said Pergamos, where Satan's sate was. Yes. God proof 197, Revelation 8, 10, and 11, and the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Revelation 8, 10, and 11 speaks of a falling star called Wormwood that corrupts one-third of the world's fresh water supply. The water becomes bitter, and many men die from drinking it. Wormwood is a massive star that poisons a third of the world's fresh water. What do the world's cosmologists have to say about Wormwood? Stay tuned. Thousands of years ago, God declares a star falling to the earth called Wormwood. Wormwood comes because of the weight of sin. Listen to what Jeremiah said in nine thirteen through 15. And the Lord saith, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them, even this people, with warm wood, and give them water of gall to drink. The star warm wood will cause the water to become bitter, and many will die from drinking it. Science now knows this is a very real possibility. The following paragraph, titled Hydrogen Cyanide Polymers on Comets, was published by Matthews and R. Ludicke, of the University of Illinois Department of Chemistry. The original presence on cometary nuclei of frozen volatiles such as methane, ammonia, and water makes them ideal sites for the formation and condensed phase polymerization of hydrogen cyanide. We propose that the non-volatile black crust of comet Halley consists largely of such polymers dust emanating from Halley's nucleus contributing to the comma, a coma, a co, yeah, the comma and tail would also arise partly from these solids. Indeed, secondary species such as CN have been widely detected as well as HCN itself and particles consisting of H, C, and N. Cogwriter.com weighs in with the following under the heading, NASA indirectly confirms warm wood prophecy. In addition to looking like a star falling from the heavens looking like a torch, and an asteroid could possibly do that, comets normally appear with cyanogen. Astronomers state hydrogen cyanide on comets may be their source of cyanogen gas. Interestingly, 
The cyanogen gas mixes with water to form hydrogen cyanide, which has an almond odor and a bitter taste and reportedly causes death at concentrations over five parts per million. NASA scientists now know that at least 1,000 nearby asteroids could do that and have long known that certain comets could do this as well, end of quote. All of God's word is true and righteous altogether. The prophecies of the scriptures are happening and will soon come to a head. Men of science will grapple with the realities only to find that the unsophisticated Christians not only knew about it all the time, but were also prepared. End of quote. A star called Warmwood is on the way. God-proof, 198 Psalms, 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. If the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, Psalms 111:10, and it is, then denying that God is would be the ultimate foolishness, blind stupidity, and it is. The astounding odds that life is a product of time and chance is addressed by R. O. Muncaster in his book Examine the Evidence. Muncaster writes, Here's what some experts in the field are saying about the probability of the random origin of the very first cell. Marcel Schutzenberger of the University of Paris, uh, Paris declared, There is no chance... No chance. Ten to the negative, one thousandth power, or a decimal point followed by one thousand zeros, then a one, to see this mechanism appear spontaneously. And if it did, even less for it to remain. Molecular biologist Harold Morowitz calculated that if every chemical bond were broken in the simplest living cell, the odds of it reassembling under ideal conditions would be ten to the negative 100 billionth power, or a decimal point followed by 100 billion zeros, then a one, an infinitesimally small number. Astrophysicist Edward Argyle observes that a simple E. coli bacterium with an information content of about 6 million bits would have required about 10 to the 1,800,000th power or a 10 followed by 1,800,000 zeros of cases to occur on the early earth for its inception to incur. John Horgan stated in a Scientific American article, some scientists have argued that given enough time, even apparently miraculous events become possible, such as the emergence of a single cell organism, excuse me, from random couplings of chemicals. Sir Frederick Hoyle, the British astronaut, has said such an occurrence is about as likely as the assemblage of a 747 by a tornado whirling through a junkyard. Most researchers agree with Hoyle on this point. The odds that all the functional proteins necessary for life might form in just one place by random events, not including all the other problems such as sterility, were calculated by Hoyle and his associate Sandra Wickramsicki to be one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power or 10 followed by 40,000 zeros. Thomas Huxley, 
an ardent supporter and contemporary of Darwin, once supposedly stated that six monkeys typing randomly for millions of years could type out all the books in the British Museum. David Foster, a cyberneticist, concluded that Huxley was hopelessly wrong in stating that six monkeys allowed enormous time would randomly type all the books in the British Museum when, in fact, they could only type half a line of one book if they typed for the duration of the universe. Hoyle and Rickmamsinghe provided calculations for a slightly different version of the Huxley claim that instead of all the books in the British Museum, monkeys could type out the complete works of William Shakespeare. Their calculations indicated that the world was not large enough to hold the hordes of monkeys and typewriters, let alone the wastebaskets required for such a feat. They indicated this was analogous to the unlikelihood of the random creation of living matter. Harold Schroeder continues the monkey analogy by stating that the chance of their randomly typing out any sentence at all, only a few words in length, is on the order of 1 in 10 to the 120th power, or 10 followed by 120 zeros, he goes on to say. Randomness just doesn't cut it when it comes to generating meaningful, meaningful order out of chaos. Direction is required, always. The odds with a world of monkeys and typewriters and a universe of time pale in comparison to the odds of just the sterility problem and the problem becomes far greater when other factors are considered. Noted atheists Carl Sagan and Francis Click were attempting to build a case for extraterrestrials to gain research funding in that field. In the process, they estimated the difficulty of evolving a human by chance alone as 10 to the negative 2 billionth power or a decimal point followed by two billion zeros and then a one. Again, incredibly, immeasurably small numbers. This would be in the same range as the estimate of Harold Morowitz. Stephen C. Myers, who holds a Ph.D. in the History and Philosophy of Science from Cambridge University, states, while many outside origin-of-life biology may still invoke chances as a a casual explanation for the origin of biological information, few serious researchers still do. Finally, Muncaster writes, The odds of the random origin of life, the first simple bacterium, would be the same as those of selecting one randomly marked subatomic particle out of 1,300 universes the size of ours, all broken apart into subatomic particles, it is impossible. End of quotes. Surely, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. God proof 199, Ezekiel 36, 1 through 11. Also, thou son of man, prophesy unto the mountains of Israel and say, ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, because the enemy has said against you, Aha! Even the ancient high places are ours in possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Because they have made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side, that ye might be a possession unto the residue of the heathen, and ye are taken up in the lips of talkers, and are an infamy of the people. Therefore ye mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. 
Thus saith the Lord God to the mountains, and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys, to the desolate waste, and to the cities that are forsaken, which became a prey and derision to the residue of the heathen that are round about. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen, and against all Idumea, which have appointed my land into their possession, with the joy of all their heart, with despiteful minds, to cast it out for prey. Prophesy therefore concerning the land of Israel, and say unto the mountains, and to the hills, to the rivers, and to the valleys, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my fury, because ye have borne the shame of the heathen. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, I have lifted up mine hand. Surely the heathen that are about you, they shall bear their shame. But ye, O mountains of Israel, ye shall shoot forth your branches, and yield your fruit to my people of Israel, for they are at hand to come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn unto you, and ye shall be tilled and sown. And I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, even all of it, and the city shall be inhabited, and the waste shall be builded. And I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bring fruit. And I will settle you after your old estates, and will do better unto you than at your beginnings, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. The judgment of God fell upon Israel and the Jewish people because they had cast off the God of the Bible. They were scattered to the four corners of the earth, and the nation of Israel ceased to exist. For nearly 2,000 years, their land lay desolate, but in 1948, Israel was reinstated as a nation, and a miraculous change began to occur. Several excerpts from Clarence Wagner Jr.'s book, Fascinating Facts About the Holy Land, follow. Please note that the book is several years old. God has promised to restore his barren land, Israel, and make it fruitful, inhabited, rebuilt, and more prosperous than at any time in history. When the Jews began to return from the nations of the world at the end of the 19th century, the land was barren and sparsely inhabited. In the 1860s, the author Mark Twain traveled in what was then a backward region of the Ottoman Turkish Empire called Palestine and described the land thusly. Nowhere in all the waste around was there a foot of shade. He called the land a blistering, naked, treeless land. Of the Galilee, he said, there is no dew, nor flowers, nor birds, nor trees. There is a plain, then an unshaded lake, and beyond them some barren mountains. His summary of Palestine, of all the lands there are for a dismal scenery, I think Palestine must be the prince. The hills are barren, they are dull of color, they are unpicturesque in shape. It is a hopeless, dreary, heartbroken land. End of his statement. Yet it was not God's will for his land to remain in this condition. Isaiah says the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. That's Isaiah 35.1. Since those early days of the return of the Jews, the deserts have been reforested. Over 250 million trees have been planted by hand, with millions more germinating naturally from the seeds. The rocky fields are now fertile. The swamps are drained and planted. The ancient terraces have been rebuilt. 
and the ruined cities of old have been reestablished. Today, the barren deserts are truly and literally blossoming as a rose. In the Jordan Valley and the Negev Desert, during the winter, farmers are producing and exporting over 5 million flowers a day. In fact, annually, Israel exports 1.5 billion flowers. Many of the flowers in the beautiful Amsterdam flower market are imported from Israel. In addition to flowers, fruits, and vegetables are grown in the desert. Some, like melons, cucumbers, and tomatoes, are grown with underground brackish water to supply food year-round to the tables of Israel and other nations. Special strains of apples and peaches have been developed to grow in the hot, dry desert climate of Israel, and now these varieties are grown in other parts of the world. Israel can grow apples and oranges in the same field, unheard of anywhere else in the world. And this tiny land offers tropical bananas and pineapples, along with colder climate strawberries. Annually, over 150,000 tons of fruits and vegetables are exported from Israel over and above feeding her own population. In Israel today, fresh and saltwater ponds are providing the largest variety of domestically produced fish in the world. These are being consumed in Israel and also exported. The desert is beautiful and blossoming again, just as the prophets foretold. End of quotes. God proof number 200, Mark 13, 28 through 30. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and porteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when ye shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. If the saints are reading the scriptures correctly concerning the parable of the budding of the fig tree, the time of the end and Christ's return draws nigh. The following paragraphs are from 21 Signs of Doomsday, Part 1. Over 500 years before the arrival of Jesus Christ, God prophesied excuse me, by Jeremiah in chapter 24 concerning two baskets of figs. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs were set before the temple of the Lord after that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the carpenters and smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe, and the other basket had very naughty figs, which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then said the Lord unto me, What seest thou, Jeremiah? And I said, Figs. The good figs very good, and the evil very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carrying away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of Chaldeans for their good. For I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them an heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. And as the evil figs which cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Surely thus saith the Lord, so will I give Zedekiah the king of Judah and his princes, 
and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land, and them that dwell in the land of Egypt, and I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach and a proverb, a taunt and a curse, in all places whither I shall drive them, and I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them, till they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers." Jeremiah was a prophet who proclaimed God's judgment against the rebellious Israelites. He was there when the Babylonian troops laid siege to Jerusalem and destroyed the Israelite armies. For nearly two and a half millennia, with the exception of a handful of years, Israel ceased to exist as an autonomous nation. In 70 AD, they rebelled against their Roman masters and were totally decimated. Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed and their people scattered to the four corners of the earth, where they remained until the 1900s. Just after the many horrors of World War II, the United Nations declared Israel to be an official state. To be precise, it was May 14, 1948. After thousands of years, Israel was restored to the world's modern geographical lexicon, again as a place on the world's map, a new budding nation. Keep in mind the new budding nation and the good figs that God said would return to their homeland Israel, as you read what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 32 through 34. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is yet tender and poureth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Jesus said, learn a parable of the fig tree. A parable, by definition, contains a hidden parallel message. Much of Christianity, even as it was thought in the early church, sees the parable of the fig tree as Christ's referral to the Jeremiah prophecy. Israel represents in Jeremiah, represented, excuse me, in Jeremiah as the figs, correlates well with the parable of this fig tree. The fig tree is putting forth leaves, and the figs are returning to Israel in droves to participate in the battle of all time, the very battle of Armageddon. In the Lord's parable of the fig tree, he makes this telling statement in Matthew twenty-four thirty-four: Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. This generation shall not pass. If our assessment of the fig tree and the 1948 emergence of Israel as a nation is correct, then the generation that saw 1948 will not pass until all that Jesus declared in the cited passages is fulfilled. Using the Bible lifespan of 70 years, as stated in Psalms 90, verse 10, simple addition of 70 years in 1948 yields an outside date of 2018. Keep in mind that Jesus did not say all would be fulfilled when the generation that saw the budding of the fig tree came to an end, but that the generation would not pass until all was fulfilled. It could also mean the lifespan of that generation shall not pass until all is fulfilled, and that could mean 90 or even 100 years. Nevertheless, the fig tree has budded, end of quote. It's time for us to prepare to meet our God. John chapter 8, 31 and 32. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
God's word is true and righteous altogether. Yes, every jot and every tittle. God said, Revelation 2, 12 and 13, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. God said, Revelation 8, 10 and 11, And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became warm wood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. God said, Psalms 14:1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Man said, My God is like the marshmallow man. He is soft and squeezable and harmless. The smiley face bumper sticker. God is love, and he wouldn't doom anyone to hell, even if there is one. That's who my God is. Now you have the record. Mm-hmm.